All right, y'all. So super excited. Um, it was a wonderful conversation today with Hillary. So grateful she could be on the show. And again, really grateful for her leadership at Converge. Um, so just to recap, we talked a lot about RISE, racial and intersectional equity, and sort of how we define it here at Converge and the distinction between RISE and traditional DEI. Um, and if you hadn't heard, definitely take a look at that episode. But there we're really talking about power in resources and how that distinguishes traditional DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion work um, from RISE, racial and intersectional equity, which is really digging in on making sure that we don't just have a diversity of folks at the table, but we have really talked about what it means to shift resources and power. Um, so We'll also talk a little bit about some of the history, colonialism. We talked about Bacon's rebellion um, and how a lot of the things that we're seeing right now in our culture, January 6th, et cetera, really is this death of white supremacy and how that is informed by um, our history. And as a culture, we're super ahistorical and really need to understand that there has been a history to um, particularly civil unrest when white folks, black folks understand a shared common destiny and begin to work and organize together, that we see violence as a response, particularly in here in America. Lastly, we talked about some of the pitfalls of this work and, you know, invite you to continue to join us as we continue to have this conversation around how we implement racial and intersectional equity into our work. But one of those pitfalls that um, I really appreciate Hillary bringing up is just how you know, important it is for us to understand that this work is not linear, right? Um, and many of us want to rush into this work. And really what we need to do is we need to study, we need to do the work of undoing racism inside of ourselves as we also lead this work in our organizations. Welcome back to Converge for Change, the business of social justice podcast. We are kicking off season two. It is 2021, y'all, and we are kicking off in high gear. We are excited to share this space with you to tell stories, educate, motivate, and move. Join me, your host, Takima Robinson, every week for real conversations as we pull back the curtain on social justice and philanthropy in America. Hey, y'all, welcome back to Converge for Change, the Business of Social Justice podcast. So excited to be back here with you. It is only the week two of 2021, and I don't know about you, but it feels like it's been a year already. Um, and so, again, just to recap and pick up on where we left the conversation last week, this year, we're really going to focus on making sure that this podcast is a place, is a community for you to come and to learn more about really how to operationalize the work that we do at Converge around racial and intersectional equity. So what we talked about last week was who Converge is. I shared with you our values of radical imagination, um, being the freedom dreams of our ancestors and the architects of our future for a coming generation. Our value of agency, we believe liberation demands people access their power to uphold the humanity and dignity of all people and collective action. We truly believe that to dismantle historic oppression, it will require collective and strategic action to create the radically just new world that we hope to see. 
So what I'll be spending some time today talking with you more about is some of our new Converge initiatives. Many of you all know us from the high impact consulting work that we do with amazing social justice leaders from across the country. But this year, we're going to be releasing some new things that I'm really excited to start sharing with you, including some offerings, some course offerings through a new line of business we're offering called Converge College, which will also include our monthly WISE workshops and then also the growth of this podcast. Hey, y'all. So we're back for another solo show. And uh, really, I'm recording this, what, four days before um, we inaugurate our 46th president. I think you're going to be listening to this a few days after that. So I'm sitting here mostly just thinking about how important it will be moving forward for the work that we do here at Converge, the work of really helping folks figure out how to bring racial and intersectional equity to life. What does that look like? And within that, what does it look like for us to use that as a healing process? So that's what's on my mind today. And we're going to get into talking more about what we have coming up here at Converge and how some of our offerings may be a way to help some of you all find your way as well. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the distinction between diversity, equity, and inclusion and racial and intersectional equity. So a lot of you all are familiar with the term DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I think, you know, I really want to break down the distinction between that and sort of the work that we talk about here at Converge, which you'll hear us refer to as RISE, racial and intersectional equity. So DEI, okay, is usually defined as a practice and often leads organizations, in my opinion, to really check the box around diversity. Do we have someone from all the various identity groups at the table? Equity in that definition definitely takes it further to really start to think about the various needs and resources that various groups will need in order to be successful. Where it falls short is really the conversation around power and shifting resources. So for us at Converge, the true intention of DEI has to lie in the term equity. And equity really has to consider not only who has been historically marginalized um, and not given access to resources, opportunities, and power, but it really has to become an intentional practice to shift resources to make sure there are more opportunities provided to those who have historically been oppressed or left out. But also in all of it, it ends up with making sure that those groups have more power than they did before. So when we talk about racial and intersectional equity, we really talk about analysis that explicitly talks about how we dismantle white supremacy. So we define white supremacy, we name white supremacy, and are really having an explicit conversation with intentionality around how we dismantle white supremacy. And through the dismantling of white supremacy, how we redistribute power and resources. So given the entrenched nature of colonialism and white supremacy, Equity has to focus on race and ethnicity as a primary driver of lived experience, life outcomes, and disparities, particularly in the American context. We understand the history of, of America and the ways in which race was codified inside of this experience. And so it's really important that one, we 
are not ahistorical. We understand the history. We understand all of the various decisions and policies, but also the way in which those decisions, those policies, that ethos has also um, infiltrated culture, right? And that culture continues to reproduce um, a system of inequity. We also, though, recognize, I think this is really, really important, that there really are other aspects of human identity, whether they be gender, sexuality, ability, country of origin, um, that also impact people's lived experiences and life outcomes and lead to disparities, right? And so, of course, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, the differences in terms of gender, but also considering what does it mean to be LGBTQ? So where we put this all together with the RISE analysis is recognizing that race is really the leading identity characteristic. And unless we really talk about it, analyze it, name it, it exacerbates all of the other characteristics, right? So just give you an example. If you are a Black woman, right, that definitely dictates some of the experiences you will have. If you are a Black trans woman, right, that dictates your experiences as, as well. If you are a white trans woman, the, the fact that you are white um, also provides a buffer against some of the other identity characteristics that you may ha have. So RISE is really bringing us more nuance to the conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and making sure our conversation is intersectional, that we're considering all the identity characteristics, but we're rooting it in our analysis of race, particularly here in America. So super excited to continue talking more about RISE and that analysis throughout this podcast and really excited that we're also going to be able to offer it to you in a couple of different formats. And so you heard me say before that I was excited to announce some new offerings that Converge will have and we will be unveiling very shortly opportunities for you all to participate in Converge College. Our first offering is actually a monthly training on the RISE framework. It's an introductory course, perfect for those of you who may work in a white-led organization, who may work in a social justice organization or nonprofit. Um, it's great for small, medium-sized organizations, folks who are struggling with having conversations about race and oppression, uncomfortable with language, um, uncomfortable navigating conversations within the workplace, especially given um, what is happening in the media and in our nation at this time. Um, it is a great training, foundational training for those of you in leadership positions, whether you are board members or executive directors. Um, and so this is really ripe for anyone who is really trying to get an introduction to try to wrap their head around these concepts um, and bring these conversations into your organization. So um, that RISE introductory workshop is something that you can find more about um, on our website. And definitely, if you're interested, register for it at www.convergeforchange.com backslash R-I-S-E. All right. So after that, we actually have something even more exciting coming up, which is our 12 week offering. Um, and we are going to be launching that later on this year. But just to give you a sort of teaser, we're looking 
to offer a 12-week course um, and we'll again be giving you more details about how to sign up for that in the coming weeks. But this is a real opportunity for those of you who are interested or even responsible with inside of your organizations for leading the conversation and leading strategies around racial and intersectional equity to really walk through the development, not only of an assessment tool to assess where your organization stands, but also our tools that will help you build out a plan for how you will operationalize racial and intersectional equity within your organization. We cover every aspect of, of companies from um, your programs and services to how are you allocating resources to how are you approaching human resources, strategic partnerships, marketing and communications. And we walk you through all these aspects, whether you are a nonprofit organization or for-profit business, that will result in you developing a final actionable plan. So look out for more information in the coming weeks about how you can join um, the RISE 12-week course. And again, we'll be sharing more about, about that on this podcast, but also on our website. And in the meantime, if you're super, super hungry for this information, you can always sign up for the monthly workshop on the Converge website. So again, if you are interested in more information, we have an amazing resource library, which is also on the website. And so we hope that you can go out, go over there to the website and take a look at what we have for you. It has all types of resources by amazing organizations on a number of topics. So it's a place you can go and download and it's free of charge. So thanks again for joining me this Saturday or whenever you are listening to this and for staying tuned to what we're doing here at Converge. Uh, we'd love to hear from you at some point around what you're struggling with, how you are managing all of the dynamics that are happening in our nation right now, which I'm sure are showing up inside the work that you're doing. So please continue to be in touch with us um, and let us know how we can use this platform to support you in doing the work um, wherever you are in the world. All right. Thanks again for joining. All right, y'all. So as you know, this season, we'll be bringing you some behind the scenes. Um, we'll giving you a peek behind the scenes here at Converge. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about all the things that we have and we'll be offering this year. So one of the folks that I want to introduce you to who has been with me since day one and is by my side every day in this work, you probably already know who I'm talking about if you know anything about Converge. And so I'm super excited that today's conversation, we have the incomparable Hillary Roach Converge's chief of staff and first employee here on the show. So welcome to the show, Hillary. Thank you, Takima. I am just so excited to be be here with you. Um, this is my first podcast experience, and I couldn't think of a more appropriate way to, to come on board. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So talk a little bit um, about your background. Um, you have a really interesting background in terms of how you came into the work with Converge. Um, 
and then also share a little bit about what some folks may not know about you. So your reputation uh, often precedes you in this work. You are known to be the person who can find anybody and arrange anything and, you know, kind of you uh, your superpower of resourcefulness, right? But tell folks a little bit about your background and maybe something folks don't know about you. Yeah, of course. Um, and so I am born and raised in Bermuda, a little tiny island uh, 700 miles off the coast of North Carolina, um, wherein I was, as a white woman, um, was actually in the minority. Bermuda is primarily Black um, and was just really, really lucky to really be raised in kind of a Caribbean culture. Um there and you know was raised on reggae and soca anyone who knows me knows my love for uh, for the music um and uh then went to prep school in connecticut so another thing takima and i share is uh an experience of going to prep school in shout out huskies yukon um in good old connecticut where um I will say, I mean, my kind of journey in the work we're going to talk about today kind of really began um, as I showed up to Connecticut prep school. And to be clear, this was in the height of the like jaw rule Ashanti era. Shout out versus tomorrow with the Ashanti Kisa Cole battle, uh, which I know we're all driving for, at least I am. Um you know, where I, I showed up in my Air Force Ones and my my belt that matched my fitted that like I had my whole jacket, my whole style, like just straight Bermudian kid, um, but was kind of seen by my fellow students as essentially an alien. Like you are in a white body, but you don't act white and you don't talk white. I had a very thick Bermudian accent at the time. Um, and so honestly, it really kind of started my exploration on a really personal level of some of the concepts that we're going to get into today uh, and started to had to rethink about my identity um, and what does it mean to be white, to be black, in particularly in America. It was the first time I was fully situated in America, though I am technically uh, half Bermudian and half American. Um, and so, yeah, that is just kind of something, again, that experience uh, has really struck stuck with me uh, throughout my life. And again, just really started my um, kind of deeply and personal investigation into this, into this work. Um, yeah. And I know over the past year, you and I have been knee deep in books and developing curriculum and research, et cetera. And definitely um, really grateful to have you on the team and really not only going through your personal journey, but starting to translate that journey into the work that we do here at Converge. So one of the things we're talking about today with the audience is really helping them understand RISE, racial and intersectional equity, which is the term we've called, coined at Converge to describe our approach to uh, racial equity. Um, so you want to talk a little bit about the distinction between DEI, traditional diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how we have been developing this concept around RISE. Um, for those of you who do not know, Hillary leads our RISE workshops and has uh, worked with another great colleagues of, of ours, Lucy Castillo, who will be on the show in a few weeks, um, to really help us develop out a curriculum that takes folks through a journey from 
understanding the concepts to really beginning to apply the concepts in their organizations, right? And coaching them through how are we really moving the needle on equity in the organization? So let's start by helping folks understand what is the distinction between rise, racial and intersectional equity as we have conceptualized it and kind of what you have seen in your experience around diversity, equity, and inclusion. How would you describe those two things and distinctions? Yeah, absolutely. So diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, although good concepts, and I'm I'm really uh, impressed to see how far and how wide um, folks have really started to take up this work, particularly in this last year um, with the racial reckonings this country has been going through. Um, but for us, it doesn't go far enough. Um, so diversity is great. We want to see um, uh, we want to see kind of who we want a full breadth of folks at an organization, right? We want, but honestly, in, in the way in which it's implemented can often be simply checking a box. Do we have a people of color at the organization? Okay, great, we do, check, right? That diversity doesn't, although inclusion certainly takes it further. We want those people of color or LGBTQ or differently abled folks to feel included as part of the organization. Again, a good thing to have but with really centering equity and thinking about power and kind of distribution of resources within the organization, it's insufficient, quite frankly, to tackle that is white supremacy. And this way it is insidiously ingrained in all of our culture, our organizations, our institutions. It's just not enough, right? And so it's I also think- so actually, can I say something right there? It's sort of ironic to me how um, deeply embedded white supremacy is, right? That it would even try to frame how we begin to reckon around race. So if white supremacy dictates how we dismantle it, <laughs> right? Like then we're still working within the construct of white supremacy. And I think for me, often when I have seen DEI, it has really leaned heavily on the diversity aspect of it. Do we have one of each? You know, are people at the table? We're not talking about those folks necessarily, like you said, having power, access to resources. We're not necessarily changing the power dynamics or the, you know, the resource dynamics. We're just making sure there's more of every one kind of person. You know, it's like a Noah's Ark kind of approach to um, to dismantling white supremacy, which sort of is ironic because it's being dictated by white supremacy and what makes particularly white folks feel comfortable in the process. That's been one of my um, observations of a lot of DEI work is it still centers the comfort of whiteness. It is not trying to dismantle the concept of, of whiteness, um, which I think the concept of whiteness, the idea of white people, people who came from all types of ethnic and cultural backgrounds now becoming a monolith um, and by uh, and in return, right, trading in their ethnicities and their cultures um, for privilege, unearned privilege. Um, and it's just so interesting to me um, just how even the work of dismantling white supremacy often centers it. And that's definitely one of the things I see with DEI. 
Oh, absolutely. Right. And even the way it's phrased DEI, the equity in the middle there oftentimes just kind of gets brushed over. Right. Mm -hmm. We really not, not centering that. And as the quote, I kept thinking of when you were saying we can't dismantle the master's house with his own tools. Right. So absolutely. So in that, right, we, and I think Takima really under your leadership after this summer, it was a unapologetic, we can't even call it this anymore, a recognition of just how insufficient DEI as concepts and an approach really is. Um, and so, you know, again, under you, we developed this racial and intersectional equity approach that seeks to explicitly dismantle white supremacy and redistribute uh, power and resources within organizations, within institutions, within our society yeah. at large. Awesome. Thank you for that. So you um, are often leading these trainings, right? Um, you're leading these trainings, coaching organizations that we're working with who are really trying to apply this. And folks come to this work earnest, right? They come to this work super excited, ready to roll up their sleeves, ready to jump in. Um, we often you know, are in a position where we have to counsel people like you actually going to have to take a step back to take a step forward. You're really going to have to deconstruct some things. You're going to have to hold up a mirror to yourself. You're going to really have to have some deep and uncomfortable conversations and be willing to be in that discomfort. So tell me a little bit about one of the most surprising or some of the most surprising parts of uh, facilitating our workshops. And what do you notice with many of our attendees? I would say, I think from almost all folks, um, it's the history the, the when we go through the kind of timeline of the institutionalization of white supremacy within our country, you know, folks are just constantly shocked. Of, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. I didn't realize I didn't like just how far back from again, even before this country was founded, the 1600s, Act 3, ensuring that a child born to a mother in slavery was automatically a slave, right? The way we created property out of people as infants. And their progeny, right? People and their progeny. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I think again, people are, and again, how that was then reinforced, you know, Bacon's Rebellion, I think is a big one that folks always are like, oh, I didn't realize. And that was when Blacks and whites um, join forces together to try to dismantle some bit of white supremacy power. And whites learn that, oh, we can't have that. We don't have the numbers if we don't keep the separation. So again, how folks have just been incredibly intentional for centuries of keeping this history hidden and keeping folks disenfranchised, really. And I love that, Hillary. I think, you know, to me, that's definitely one of the biggest ahas for our attendees is the history. They're usually stunned. They usually need time to process it. And so it just speaks to how ahistorical we are as Americans, where we really don't know our history. It's been packaged up for us as the 4th of July, and that's all we really know. Um, and so what we do in RISE, for those of you who are listening, is we go all the way back to the founding of the country. We actually go back even before that to take a look at what was happening in terms of colonization and how colonization really was the beginning of race and racism and actually, you know, creating these caste systems that we now live in in America. And like Hillary said, a lot of our attendees are most taken aback by the history. 
history, American facts and dates and occurrences that people just don't know about. Begin's Rebellion is just an ex a example um, of a trend that is undisputed in our histories. When you see multi ethnic, multicultural coalitions, particularly of poor and disenfranchised people coming together, you see elite whites in our country making sure that that never happens again. And um, if anything, it leaves us some, some context clues, right? That that is probably the biggest fear to white supremacy is that black folks, white folks, people of all color will actually begin to see more similarity in one another as opposed to difference. Um, and which is why we see such a backlash when we see these multicultural, multi-ethnic coalitions, i.e. Georgia, i.e. <laughs> what we are all living in in real time. Be clear, there is no, no difference, right? Between the history and the present moment we're living in. All right. So talk a little bit about working with um, our clients, folks who have come through this, this amazing training. Talk a little bit about the work that we do to really help folks figure out how to implement this inside of their organizations. What do you see as some of the easiest ways people can begin to implement the concepts of rise racial and intersectional equity in their organizations. And then we'll talk about some of the more difficult parts of implementing this work, which is probably where the work mostly is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'd say both, right? So the easiest um, or kind of most tangible, I think, is folks just kind of stopping and reflecting on the way we have done business maybe is not the way we need to do it moving forward and kind of starting to identify um, those inequities, those power inequities within their own organization, right? Particularly with nonprofits. Um, one of the first modules that we do is around stakeholder engagement and identifying like, who do you actually serve? And then from there, how are you engaging with them? How are you centering those who you are meant to be serving in the development of your programs, in how you're implementing them? You know, oftentimes with nonprofits, it's there's the power is so much placed in the funders and not actually in the folks who are to be receiving those services and their voices are not centered in within the organization um, in a truly authentic way. Um, and I think for kind of most organ like I, the easiest thing is just first off identifying, oh, these are our stakeholders and these are the ways in which we are going to center and engage with them authentically. Um, you know, and it is, it is tough work for sure, but it is the critical first step, um, to ensure kind of success of rise concepts throughout, uh, organizations, whether it's their policy and their advocacy, their programs and services, their governance. Um, we want to ensure that they, again, cause we're always going to come back to those stakeholders. Right. And again, how are you centering their voice? Yeah. It's interesting, Hillary, right? Like the easiest thing is actually the hardest thing because the hardest thing is just agreeing and really getting the people inside the organization in alignment on the same page and ready to do this work. Like oftentimes that's the hardest part is getting people to ready, getting people to accept that this is the work that we need to do. Um, and like you said, after that, you know, particularly when you begin to center the people you're serving, um, 
and hold a mirror up to yourself, then the work really does flow from, from there. But it is that, that reorientation, the acceptance of, um, we, we need to really take a hard look at this and, um, we're going to see some things we don't like and we can do something about it and we can fix it. It's sort of that, you know, that, that part of, uh, readying the organization that often is, is really, really the hard, hard part. Um, so what's in your opinion, what, what in your opinion might be the hardest part of the work? It's that, that would be what I think. What do you think? You somewhat kind of stole mine there. Cause it, it get, you know, it's, it is that ensuring that everyone on the, in the organization is coming from a, a shared understanding, um, of these concepts and how they show up. Otherwise you will inevitably have folks who push back. Um, you know, and in particular with nonprofits, it's, it's the, it's boards, right. Who hold a lot of power and who, um, are typically not the ones closest to the work just by the nature of that, of that structure. Um, and so again, making sure that you are, uh, building ways to bring everyone at the organization along on this rise journey, um, is really critical for its success. Um, but I do also think that, that ability to reflect and in particular with nonprofits, like these are folks who they have generally have good hearts, want to do well, have chosen to kind of serve others in their career. Um, And so that kind of that mind shift to understanding that they may have just been like, they are participants in this system of white supremacy, whether or not they mean to be, um, and that, that I think is also sometimes harder. Participants for- and beneficiaries. Pardon? And beneficiaries. Yes, absolutely. Right. And just to, to think that, oh, we all have to do this differently. And again, for us, it's so much like the process and kind of how we do and how we're analyzing and just uh, rethinking our organizations is just as critical to the outcome. So for us as well, I am... I keep saying in my orgs, like y'all are in the right place of really analyzing. I don't want to see anyone after listening to the programs and services module, go and change all of their programs right afterwards. Right. Mm -hmm. That you can almost end up doing more damage by trying to do this, this work quickly and without intention than like, than having that time of, Oh, maybe we should, and maybe we should ask and really being inquisitors along the way, um, instead of just rushing to action, I think is probably one of the biggest pitfalls of this work. Again, it's that diversity, like, oh, we're just going to go and hire a bunch of people of color and then we're good. Yeah. Right. (laughs) No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Please don't do that. (laughs) All right. So, all right. So let's talk about the training. Who do you think benefits the most from our training? Um, Because I really do want folks out there to know we provide this training. We do custom training for your organizations. They, um, we have the ability to do it um, virtually. We use Zoom. Um, it's very interactive. We have small group works. There's lots of breaks. Um, so who out there in our audience do you think should be considering this type of training? Is, is it best for groups, individuals? How, what, what, what do you think? Yeah, well, again, I mean, so to that point of it being the most challenging part of this work sometimes is not having everyone in the organization. I think ideally we're doing it for um, 
the, an entire organization at a time, in particular, its leadership, its board members joining along this, this way. Um, you know, we can do it with smaller groups, but again, it is just the, the broader, the better for an organization. So everyone is on that, um, that shared understanding on the same page, coming at it with the same lens. Um, you know, so even nonprofits or for-profit organizations, of course, have the, these kind of organizational culture issues as well. Um, so, you know, as much as we tend to focus in the nonprofit world, um, in particular with philanthropy, you know, we've done this with the awesome folks over at the Center for Disaster Philanthropy. Um, and so for there, had a bit more of an international context for their, their training, um, as you say, we have kind of a base training, but we can always customize it to your specific industry. So whether that's education or um, financial services, you know, we can we can unpack this in a lot of different ways. You know, even that history part that we go over, again, it's just a small sampling of of the entire universe that we can pull from. So, I mean, really, this training is for everyone. Yeah, it is. I really agree with you. I think it is really awesome when organizations um, do this together. It is a t- it can be a team building experience. Um, you know, it can make it not so scary with everybody is experiencing this and unpacking it at the same time. Um, and I agree with you. It it really does. It's really powerful. It can be transformational for organizations to do it together. Um, and, and to go into this together. Awesome. All right. Well, we are getting to the end. Thank you so much for, you know, for the work that you do every day. Um, I appreciate you. You know, you are my right hand. Um, you know, could not run this company, could not do this work without Hillary Roach. I want that recorded for posterity forever. Um, everybody knows how much I love and appreciate you. And I appreciate who you are as a person, particularly as a white woman. Um, who has been completely unafraid to lean into this work and be an example of what is possible um, in creating the radically just new world that we all want to live in and we all deserve to live in. So thank you so much for the work that you do um, at Converge. And so as we wrap up, um, can you describe, this is what I'm going to probably crack up at this answer, but can you describe... Um, a your 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 work life like give me three words to describe what is like working at converge and doing and doing um this work that we do together dynamic is certainly the first word that popped in um you know there's always a ton in the hopper there's always um we all you know we typically have you know it's a small nonprofit over here that we're coaching in Arkansas. It's the big philanthropic conglomerate that we're working with over nationally. You know, there's, there's just so many different levels and people um, that we get to engage with. It's really, it's really beautiful. And there's no, you know, it's definitely one of those no two days are ever the same in uh, at Converge. Um, You know, I think another word that really pops into my head is really community. I think we are, in the way in which we do and approach our work. Like we are a community within Converge. Um, we are a community with our partners and our clients. Uh, you know, I, I, we just wrapped some work in Arkansas as well uh, with uh, some POC and LGBTQ led communities. And, you know, it's, I love you when we're getting off the phone. Like 
there's just like, there's a love and like this shared purpose in the work that we're doing with all of the folks that we engage with um, that I think is just really beautiful. And again, building this larger rise community. Um, Ooh, my final word. Oh, goodness. Of course she didn't, this is not one of the prep questions, guys. You know. <laughs> Off the top of your head. Come on, come on. You got this. What's the third question? Third, third word to describe your experience at Converge. Challenging, I would say as well, right? That this, this, this work is not for the faint-hearted either, right? This this work is going to challenge you, as, as you noted, especially me as a white woman, right? That's something that I constantly need to think about. Like, I need to practice what I am preaching um, and make sure, again, that I am always kind of analyzing how I'm approaching things to ensure, again, I'm living into the values that we stand for um, at Converge, that we're you know, being radical in our creation of this just new world and living in. Well, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I'm so excited we got to be the first podcast. We won't be your last that you get to be a guest on. And um, just to everybody out in the audience, please check out our new offerings. So we do custom racial and intersectional equity workshops, which Hillary just talked about. And, um, you know, we've built a really amazing curriculum for that. And again, that can be conducted um, online via Zoom and customized for your particular organization or your particular field. We also offer some public workshops where we do those in a single day. Um, if you're just interested in getting a taste and so check out our website for future dates that you can register. And then lastly, you know, we'll be talking more in the coming weeks about our 12-week course um, where we really take you through every aspect of your organization and help you develop a racial and intersectional equity plan, an assessment and a plan, an actionable plan that you can begin to put in place in your organization so you start moving the needle on racial and intersectional equity. Thank you so much, Hillary, for being here today. Thank you again for the work that you do um, and just who you are, the work that you do every day um, here at Converge and out in the world and just really appreciate uh, you being here on the team. All right, y'all. So we'll take a break and come back and wrap up this week's podcast. All right. So next week, I hope you will join me for a live conversation about the Georgia elections. I will be hosting Latasha Brown, co-founder of Black Voters Matter Fund and Chris Bruce from the ACLU Georgia. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me today. Wherever you are in the world, I want to hear from you. So stop what you're doing right now. No, really right now. And follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Converge for Change. Now, after you follow me, drop me a line in the comments and let me know what you thought about this show. After that, make sure you've subscribed to the show and your favorite podcast platform. We're growing our tribe of social justice warriors, and we want you with us every step of the way. Thanks.